I call retrogrades. How to re-evangelize the de-Christianized West. Support us in any way you can, most especially by your prayers. From an authentically Catholic perspective. Right-minded, righteous group that's equal in strength to the radicals. From an authentically masculine perspective. You and your friends versus me and my friends. Bring it on. Welcome to Rules for Retrogrades. It's Tim Gordon here with Dave Gordon and Chris Plants. We are back today with another dating episode for you guys because this was promised not only to our patrons but to our people out there that are watching and enjoyed our, our first dating episode, which was sort of crammed at the end of uh, a multi-episode. So we're back here today to talk about, from the Catholic perspective, the overlooked, undercooked um, aspects of dating that lead to the vocation of matrimony. And they're overlooked for a particular reason. That's because they're very politically incorrect. So we're going to jump into it uh, just now. Dave, Chris, how are you guys doing today? Doing awesome, man. Good. Yep. Great. So what, one thing I always mention that, that is it's anecdotal, which isn't, which isn't my favorite way of developing a, an episode or whatever. But this is such an overwhelming, consistent response that I get as a teacher of younger people, you know, juniors and seniors in high school. Sometimes I, I teach, uh, you know, freshmen and sophomore in college. From parents, it, it's so overwhelming that it makes uh, recips eloquitor. The thing screams itself. It makes its own case that, wow, this is at the heart of our cultural problem. And here's what it is. Of all the controversial things I've ever taught, um, Chris, I think, I think you could speak to this as well. Abortion, contraception, divorce. Divorce has something to do with it. Uh, any of the sex issues, none of them get parents in a po politically conservative area worked up except one. And I'm not, I'm not kidding you guys out there. What's that one issue? What Dating is young. Dating young and doing what? After you marry, let's, what, what if, a, what if a, a young man meets a young woman that he likes freshman year in college? What, what is the issue that's happening? Catholic family, pagan family, whatever, all around the country. What comes up? What do parents say when... Don't get married until you have a career or something like that. Right. And, I mean, what does that mean? Since basically in our country we've turned all... Delay, your, delay a vocation. Delay the vocation. You're, if you meet someone that you like a lot, that you think is, is good, we're going to talk today. We're going to lay out... The, the principle that, look, you're not meant to being delaying your vocation. If you meet someone that's good, it's uh, you don't want to let that relationship rot on the vine without the graces of matrimony, which should come, you know, five to 12 months after you meet the person. It doesn't. This is the normal course of a relationship. What if someone just started school in August uh, and they're a college student? They met someone they like a lot. They go home for Thanksgiving this time of the year, and they're like, Mom and Dad, I met a girl in New York or whatever, Chicago, away at school. I like her a lot. And what advice are they getting from their I'm, – I'm sorry, not, not every single boomer, but most boomers, even ones that say, I was never a hippie, I'm conservative. What are the, what are the baby boomers saying to these kids dating? Take your time, basically. Don't rush in. 
Only fools rush. Or what song is yeah. that? Only fools no, rush. Elvis, Elvis yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah, Elvis. Yeah, I mean that's that's basically what they say. Yeah, and they they if they maybe they sing it, but uh, I mean the the point is this destroys relationships. And so today we I want to get into is just what is insinuated, Dave, by the idea that in in you know, 95, 96, 97% of these young relationships, they're being instructed. I, I have four parts to this. This first part, I just want to talk about where does this come from? Why do the baby boomers say this? Why is it such a strong presupposition in households that are religious, non-religious? Trads say it, I hear. Well, I, I think back. Neo, yeah, no. neocons, trads, pagans, everyone's saying it. How did this get so strongly vested that, hey, don't just... You know, why not just get married as an undergrad in college? There's married student housing. It doesn't you're, whatever your parents are willing to pay for. If you're a single college student, if they're helping you with your education, which most many parents do, I'm not putting pressure. But if they're willing to help you with that, they're willing to help you without it. If you're getting loans anyway, and your parents aren't in the financial position to help you out in college, they should help you out anyway, right? How wh where did this come from? For a little bit. Well, you know how they say that all heresies are kind of truths taken to an extreme. Um, if you do look at any of the old moral theology manuals, they do say that it's incumbent upon the bridegroom to have a way of supporting both himself and his bride at the time of marriage. Now, we talk about, you know, disciplines that can change, whereas doctrines don't, right? And this is one of those things that has been kind of open to change in American culture and the culture of the West over the past 50 years, especially with the invention of the modern student loan system and the, the legislative passage of things like Pell Grants, right? Um, so there's a couple points here that we should talk about. Number one, yeah, so there is... A system of student loans which basically operates as a federal guarantee at the college level that you will have your education financed on an as-needed basis so to say that you know the students they're not going to be able to make ends meet they're not going to be able to afford to live or keep a roof over the head it at the college stage is just absolutely incorrect now if you are a student if you are 20 years old and you do get married, then you are going to be, and I don't want to get too technical for the, the law stuff, but on your FAFSA, you'll be an independent after you get married, and then you're going to be eligible for certain grants and a higher like strata of loans so that you can support both your wife and yourself while you're finishing up school. Now, part of the problem is that everybody's going to college now, right? So we're getting this delayed entrance into adulthood. It used to be back in the day when we were in a healthier time that you would go to high school, right? And you'd graduate and you'd maybe enter a trade or go into a factory, right guys? And then, but now with basically a universal call to college where everyone's going to college, right? Whether they're fit for, for higher level intellectual work or not. Basically everyone goes to college, the degrees are getting watered down. You know, you get your Chris, we were talking last time about underwater basket weaving. It teams, tends to be the uh, the line that gets thrown around. But yeah, people are. By the way, who, that, who that does seem difficult, actually. I mean, uh, it would be tough. That, 
How would you do that? Okay. It's almost impossible yeah. to enter the under, underwater basket weaving workforce without a master's in that. The That's school from my experience. The, the, the underwater basket weaving school is actually hard to get to because it's underwater too, which is another, it's problematic. There's just, yeah. anyway. Only so a certain kind of person can do that. Dave, we should say it from the outset that you you did this, right? You you got married in undergrad. I, I met my wife in undergrad, but we were both dating other people. I, I certainly would have done it. But we I'm didn't not, actually get any pressure from our parents not to. I don't think. Yeah, and, you know, it's doable. So I'm not telling you guys to do something that I haven't done. Now, I knew I was going to go to a graduate program um, before I, I kind of made the call. So I was like, what, another three years of just dating? No, that's, I can't stomach that. But, yeah, so the thing that I'm really going for here is that the nature of the modern economy where so many jobs call for college degrees, they're making young people feel like they have to put off their vocation so they, they can get a job. And that's that's not correct. And it's kind of a sick twist that comes with the expansion of the modern university system. And we sure. need to, you know, if we keep applying these old moral theology book standards that were designed for a more industrial economy where people would go into the trades right after school, after high school, and we're applying those in the modern age, what's going to happen is arrested development. People are not entering into their vocations in a timely sure. way. They're kicking them yeah. off. They have, what, four years of dating. You get these weird monstrosity relationships that are four or five years long. And, you know, that's really, really unhealthy. It's a temptation to sin. It's a temptation to fall into unchastity. And also, it's just not good for to be in a non-committed, unavowed state for five years at a time. Well, look, yeah, we should deal with some of those one at a time. Chris, I know you wanted to say something, but <clears throat> what I talk about in Catholic Republic, uh, my first book on Sophia, is the idea that not, it's not necessarily in the popular mind that people are um, sublimating their vocation for their profession it's that in the this this Calvinist country, Puritan Calvinist country at its at its pop culture origins, there's been a, sub, a supplantation of uh, profession for vocation, and literally Max Weber talks about this in the spirit of uh, uh, Protestantism when he gives us this term, the Protestant work ethic, because in the Protestant mind, I think I talk about this in books of uh, chapters four and five in Catholic Republic. In the Protestant mind, there is no realistic means of quotidian grace, the seven sacraments. It, it, this is doing pop psychology, which I don't often do, but there's a need sociologically to surrogate for that daily grace. And in the Calvinist, in the Puritan mind, it happens through work. And so you have, even in ca American Catholics, think, hey, yeah, you know, you, you, get, you get your daily grace through labor, and so there's a kind of um, subtle supplantation because they are close in the married vocation. Uh, your, your profession has, it's a support feature. It's a minor support feature for men. And it is for men. You got to labor. It's the curse of Adam. But except the main part of your day in your vocation, we'll talk about this uh, in one of my, my later points here today. But um, your main vocation begins when you get home from a day of work, Right. Right, Chris. I mean, this is this is a this is a Protestant no, thing that Catholics have inculcated. We, Tim, you and I have talked about this for years because 
when we were at when we were working together, there was a lot of talk around the school uh, from uh, Catholics and non-Catholics that we were working with. We'd go to these meetings and they'd be like, hey, this is our vocation. All of us have a vocation yeah. to teach. And and I, I remember we were, we were walking out of the meetings and I'd just be like, but it's not a vocation. Our vocation's to our family. I think right. that... I think that a lot of guys forget that to your an earlier point that you were making, your job is not in the strict sense your vocation. It it's your fa- it's meant to support your family. So a lot of these guys are like, well, you know, this is my vocation. I got to work till seven, eight, nine p.m. at night, and it's like, uh, yeah, but your job is supposed to support your family. You're supposed to be primarily with your family. I mean, after work and and so on. So, um, I do think that. I do think that we need to get back to a proper understanding of the vocation, which is family, religious life. One of the one of the the things I, I don't know, I couldn't track this um, historically. So maybe somebody else could, but because I, I have heard of like this ecclesial vocation that like theology teachers have. So now that the religious are not teaching in the Catholic schools, you know, people would often say that Tim, because you and I teach theology. We teach it on behalf of the bishop. We get the mandatum and so on. And so we have an ecclesial vocation that flows nonsense. from. It's yeah, nonsense. and it's like it's like you're trying too hard. Um, it's it's a nine to vocation, five vocation. Vocation has to be sacramental. I mean, that's yeah, that's, the that's great. Here. That's a great point. That's a great that's, point. Yeah, you you pick a, a a fork in the road for for singles out there. We're we're gonna get to this. I, I didn't want to do a, a whole profession show but it is this stuff is really important to say as it pertains to catholic dating and marriage is there there's a sacramental fork in the road ordinarily and through the course of life people will have will pick one of the two sacramental vocations and and anything other than that is confusion yeah and so many guys i think that their um their day job supplants their vocation and they don't they don't feel bad about it because they have intermingled the two you know it's muddled in their own minds it's commingled in their own minds the idea of working a day job and toiling to earn bread and it it really has come to supplant a vocation so they're not sitting around feeling guilty about defaulting on their vocation because intellectually they're confused about what the nature of vocation is yeah Uh, guys your your vocation isn't to be a lawyer or a doctor it's to to serve your family if you're a member of the laity, to get your wife to heaven, to get your kids to heaven, to instruct your kids, to love your kids, to love your wife, and to serve them, right? That's your vocation. That's how you serve Christ. Procreate and educate. Right, and love. I mean, procreate, love your wife, procreate, love your kids, and educate. All all of your duties come from those, that primary duty of of love, right, of charity towards, towards wife and offspring. Which means what you do, this brings us back around to dating. I want to, I want to move this to the, the second phase of today's show. What you do for a living, how you earn a buck, as long as it's moral and lawful, got to meet both of those, doesn't matter. A talented person can change careers multiple times. My, uh, my uncle told me that. It's good advice. A talented person that's multifaceted and a, a renaissance man can change careers if he needs to do so. So your career is not something you get wed to like this sort of uh, prod and light is my term in Catholic Republic. This prod and light, light notion that comes from the 30s, 40s, 20s, 30s, 40s—it's nonsense. So right. The vocation this, isn't so enough. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, so that's the point. Like, if you have to shovel dirt in college as a young man, let's bring it back around to dating. I want to get to something I call the Jane Austen rules, like the Jordan rules, according to the late 80s Pistons, just foul Jordan at any cost. We're going to talk about the Jane Austen rules. Um, but first, yes, the, the point needs to be there that when a young man, let's say it's coming up, Thanksgiving break, a lot of young people around the country, freshmen and sophomores in college, will go home and they'll say, hey, mom and dad, I met this guy. Or, or let's say it's a guy talking to his parents. I met this girl. I like her a lot. We're a couple months in. We met her. You know, let's say we met orientation uh, a freshman year. You know, first day we we're there. We've hung out every day and things are going really well. They're going to get the, the admonition. From the boomers, the boomerism, okay, okay, we'll just keep it friendly. You need to live your life. You need to travel before you get married. You need to marry, you, know, you need to get life experience. This is all a codified way of saying, we expect that you're fornicating. It's fine that you're fornicating. Do anything other than getting married early. And a lot of times they'll couch it in, you got to be set in your profession the way Dave or Chris said at the beginning of this show. So, this is nonsense because what the young man can do, all this career talk we did here today, it just goes to say, hey, during the school year, if, if a man can survive, uh, a young man in college can survive on loans plus whatever help he's getting for his parents and the young woman that he's courting can do the same thing, it'll be more economical if they decided to get married sophomore year of college, right? They come together. Now, how to get to that point? Right. And, and during summers, maybe the young man might have to go shovel dirt or something, even if he's going to he's bound to be a great scholar, a great white collar genius or whatever the parents always assume. Yes, he might have to shovel dirt during the summer to get from student loan in May to student loan in August. I did this in law school with two kids. Dave did it in law school with two kids. Um, OK, so what are the Jane Austen rules? This is how to date. And what I want to say here, I'm going to I'm going to kick it. I'll kick it to you, Chris is there is no canonical status. Jane Austen wasn't a Catholic, but it comes from reading all her great novels. There is no ecclesial canonical status or preference. It's not even a thing given to boyfriend-girlfriend. That's not a real status. You know the only real vocational status if you're going to be a layperson? Married or unmarried. And this becomes really important for people when they're dating because... It's the secular humanist kind of prod and light culture, Protestant Enlightenment culture that 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 props up uh, moral libertinism, sexual libertinism that made having a boyfriend or a girlfriend into like a, a halfway status. It's a kind of home playing status where people are like I have a boyfriend, or a girlfriend, having a boyfriend or a girlfriend doesn't mean anything. You are not yeah, committed it, I, I until remember. you're married. Yeah. I remember um, when we were working together, talking to um, talking to some of the students, and it was this big thing because someone was was dating someone, and then they went off and started dating someone else. And I was like, "What's wrong with that?" Okay, so he's going on a date with this right. girl and that girl. I mean, there's nothing former until, like Beyonce said, until you put a ring on it, until you make a promise, unless. Boyfriend, boyfriend and girlfriend status just means you've made a promise that you're eventually going to get married, but that's no longer boyfriend, girlfriend. That's engagement. You made a promise, Genesis 12, 
Um, and now, and then when you get married, you upgrade it to covenants, Genesis 15, 17, and 22. It's the same thing that God did with Abraham, bringing him out of Ur. He made a promise to him. And then Abraham's like, okay, are you going to fulfill this promise? And then he upgraded all of them to covenants, which is precisely what we have in the church, which is you make a promise, you engage. A promise is not as strong as a contract, uh, as, as a covenant. It's not even a contract. It's giving someone your word. So you're like, hey, I want to marry you, you know? And then finally you enter into a covenant where you exchange you, you exchange vows and you swear an oath. But yeah, there's no until you until you give someone your word, a promise, and then you upgrade it to a covenant. There's no official status, it seems to me. I mean, there, well, there there's no is, official status. Say, hey, hey, we can we can just date exclusively. I'm, I'm right now. I'm pursuing you, but um, we have sort of uh, treated the dating or the boyfriend and girlfriend status as if it's something official quasi sacramental or something you shouldn't yeah, lie they've gotten you shouldn't, uh, lie. you shouldn't lie no 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 you shouldn't lie if no. you're telling somebody i'm not dating someone else that I mean, ought to be honored and yeah. it's kind of part of the culture so we're not totally we don't need to totally repudiate this dave, dave you're gonna say something uh, I, I just wanted to say the same thing with the um, were, uh, the, for the Jews, it was different, right? Betrothal, um, the, the uh, you know, will you put a ring on it was a different thing. You're, it was more like being considered married then. But even now, if you get engaged to someone and you're like, I'm having second thoughts, it, it doesn't, it, it's better to be honest and say, hey, look, I made a mistake. What matters is the nanosecond that you become married. Then all of a sudden, your word is just your ex- promise to God. Yeah. But remember, you don't the the engagement is like you're expressing a strong intention, but it's really the day of that's a covenant that can't be right. broken. Oh well, right. it can't be broken, but only death follows, mortal sin and death itself, you know. So, yeah, it can't it can't be broken. So, yeah, the promise is yeah. Anyways, I've already said it. Dave, go ahead. I think you guys have touched on the point enough. Yeah, I was just going to gonna add by the way i do treat it like uh, it's a sacrosanct union once you've made these promises to be exclusive of other people and really it's not being boyfriend girlfriend is not an end in and of itself it's a means rather to the end of marriage so everything needs to be ordered to marriage uh everything that you're doing in your relationship it should always be looking ahead to marriage but we do have this sick um kind of truism that's caught on with the boomer generation that uh, kind of treats boyfriend girlfriend as its own status as its own kind of uh, final end and or at least as a long-term intermediate holding place and that's just not what it is right it's it's a tr- it's supposed to be a transient state on the way to marriage in the system of Victorian courtship that we have at this point it's not an end of itself. It, it's not some special status that you get. The other thing is that I, I wanted to just briefly um, touch on was, I think going back to what we were saying is that the, the older generation is so adamant about people getting into, um, people not getting married when they're younger and kind of being at this holding point of boyfriend, girlfriend so that they can go explore themselves or explore the world, which is just, you know, on a side note here, it's funny that 
exploration of the world and traveling has become a thing where it like makes you smarter. Like just going overseas and taking a vacation doesn't make you smarter. That's really caught on. I've seen especially with young girls. Like after college, I'm just going to take a year and experience cultures or whatever. Like going to France and eating some French food doesn't actually make you more intelligent. But that's, that's neither with, here with foreign men. Right. Right. <laughs> Getting that's all that means. It's so, still dirty. Going right. So it's a it's a point worth noting because I'm so sick of people saying like experiencing experiencing a culture is this good and in and of itself. That's just one of those cultural points I want to get out there. But well, the multiculturalists it, you know, push it hard. Sure. They're yeah. Um, but the older generation has been so against getting married young because they point to these kind of the failures of their own generation when they look at people who got married maybe when they're 19, 20, 18, and they say, well, there is a higher divorce rate, so we're trying to protect you from yourself. It's it's not because you're getting married earlier that you were getting divorces. It's because the boomer culture was so secular and broken and despicable and faithless in so many ways. That's why you were getting divorced. The Blessed Virgin Mary, you know, when she bore Christ, when she was betrothed to Joseph, was she classically, I think tradition tells us she was a very young woman, maybe 14, 15. If you're holy, if you have the right values, if you are committed to your faith and to piety and to service of God, you can definitely get married young and make it work. And not just make it work, but you'll have those extra years to, to grow in holiness so that you know, compared to the typical 32-year-old who's been married for like one and a half years, you know, if you got married when you're 20, you're going to have 10 more years of all these sacramental graces. But the boomer generation has been adamant that you have to forswear getting married young but just because they couldn't hold it together, just because right. they got divorced, because they had the sick culture, because they were faithless. We're not you. We right. can do it. We actually we believe. We believe what we profess, and we're, you know, and that's a message for all the young people out there. If you believe in your faith, if you're really trying to serve Christ, if you love your bride, you're going to make it work. You can do it. We do not come to treat with Sauron, faithless and accursed, as, as Gandalf tells the mouth of Sauron. This is how I feel talking about dating with a lot of these boomers. It's like, no, no, we in this generation, the, uh, you know, not so much Gen X, but the Millennials and the Zoomers especially, they saw the filth of, of widespread fornication that was being christened or attempted to be christened by the Boomers, and we don't want it. What people want is to get married young, and the Boomers will say, oh, that's just so, if you're a religious person, that's just so you can have sex. That's part of the, the rightly ordered desire that's being constrained and... and uh, and bounded, it's a bounded function, and it's, yes, it's partly incentivizing getting married young. That's absolutely, what? Can I just break in real fast? I have a quick point to make on that, because this is something that's been buried. One of the licit ends of sexuality that church has always taught is to relieve concupiscence. So I've noticed, sure. and just throw it out there, I've noticed um, in modern... For modern women uh, for, of a feminist bent, and maybe for a lot of emasculated men who swallow these lies, it's very, you know, it's it's anathema to feminists to be like, 
well, you're just using sexuality to relieve concupiscence. But that's always been what the church has taught. So to relieve concupiscence, and Paul says it, it's better to get married than to burn with desire, right? So that's Good. definitely elicited. Good. I just want to throw that out there. Well, of course, and it also stands to common sense. I mean, that, that and all the appetites rightly ordered are good. This includes the sexual appetites. This is Thomas Aquinas. And so if you're rightly ordering your, your sexuality toward, hey, I, I want to get married, it's unnatural to date someone for five years anyway. Even three years is too long. This is, what I, this is all part of what I'm calling the Jane Austen rules. Think about Pride and Prejudice or Sense and Sensibility. Great great novels. I, I especially like Pride and Prejudice. Uh, uh, Sense and Sensibility will go with here. There's a, the dating process, the courting process, is not pseudo-exclusive. It's not pseudo-guaranteed the way our, our playing house culture of, I'm a boyfriend-girlfriend. This is an official status. It's not an official status. If, if a girl is dating a guy, especially if, if it's been for a long amount of time, he has no guarantees. All's fair in love and war. And this comes through beautifully in the novels of Jane Austen or really any of the, uh, the, the Victorian or earlier era novels about this stuff. It's, you know, a girl will have multiple uh, suitors. They will come to the parlor and sit in a somewhat uncomfortable, almost job interview kind of sequence with oftentimes the, uh, the marm there or, or one of the sisters or several of the sisters. And they do, and literally multiple gentlemen, young men, are coming and courting a beautiful young lass or whatever for um, as, as many meetings as they can get if she's much sought after in the English countryside. I'm thinking of a particular scene in Sense and Sensibility, be beautiful movie, the 95 retelling of that movie. And yes, she can date multiple men at once because this is all about complementarity. Men and women are attracted to each other. And yet you get the best, the, the next thing I want to talk about is, well, so how much uh, personal, um, uh, how much do we have to be compatible? How much personal intercompatibility must we have in order to get married? I think that's an important question a lot of people are wondering about. Um, but first, because all these, you have the, the Myers-Briggs and all these personality tests, Myers-Briggs say, oh, if you're an EF, TJ or whatever that might not even be one of them. Uh, you you should not marry an INFP or whatever. They say this stuff like it's a kind of astrology. There you do want the best match, which is why in the Jane Austen rules, yeah, hey, uh, you know, Colonel Brandon got two meetings in a row. Yeah, um, and then I, I forget what the neighbor the neighbor's name is. Uh, Willoughby comes and he's zooming in on the beautiful young lass. Uh, and, you know, they don't know that, see, men have this contestant spirit. So it's good for them and it hurries the process along if uh, a young woman might be receiving uh, suitors from multiple men. And now, I don't think we can go back to this uh, era, but it would be good. And this is what was so sexually healthy about it is the only way a young man could lock it up, uh, uh, is uh, Chris is quoting Beyonce, is to, to put a ring on it and then to, to marry the young woman. And all I'm saying is it's about complementarity. Young men and young women, we'll talk about this more in a second, they're attracted to each other. You want a head start by having good uh, compatibility. But the secular world that tells you you need to date every girl in the world before you can ascertain whether or not your compatibility is sufficiently high 
is nonsense. It's, it's easy, nonsense. right? It, it's easy to tell if you're compatible. There's three ways. It, it really is this. Um, are you attracted to this person, number one? Physically and um, on conversationally, emotionally, right? Number two, do you have the same morals? Do you have the same system of values? Number three, do you enjoy being around them? And therefore, as time progresses, love them. It's that easy. Now, I hear guys today, uh, they've been, in a lot of ways, brainwashed by, by feminist propaganda. And feminists have been driving home this point that beauty is a myth. You know, there's a book out there called The Beauty Myth. And they're saying that it's a beauty as this notion of an objective value on appearance is something that was crafted by the patriarchy to control and constrain women's bodies and freedom. So that's that's the lie out there by, by feminists. So they very much um, cast aside beauty as something that shouldn't be focused on. It's a relic of a bygone age. It's a not objectively there. And of course it is objectively um, beauty is an objective thing that's why god is truth beauty goodness right so it's the most objective thing it's something we can describe the divine essence as being the highest beauty right or pure beauty itself um so there is beauty men it's not shallow as we've been taught to want to be attracted to your bride to to see someone who's beautiful and want to court them it's actually a good thing beauty is you know, it's built into the universe to tell us who would be a suitable mother and that would provide viable offspring for us or with women uh, who would be a father who's going to provide you and with viable offspring and be able to provide for them and protect them. You know, the traits that we find attractive for the respective sexes all have to do with how good that member of that sex is going to be at doing their vocation. So women with a nice hourglass figure, you know, and like heaving bosoms or whatever, it's uh, there's, you know, that they're going to be able to nurse the, the baby's going to be able to latch on. Well, the hips are, are something that God has designed to help women carry babies. You know, they can hold them on their hip instead of just using their upper body strength, which is less than men's. So to look upon someone's appearance is something that's designed into the order of the universe. It was given to us by pro providence to be a good thing, to tell us who is fit and viable as a potential parent for your offspring. So it is in no way shallow to want to be attracted to your mate. It's a good thing. And I do get that question a lot. I've heard it a lot at um, from guys, younger men growing up in this culture, like, am I just being shallow? I'm not really attracted to this woman. I'm going on a date with her. It's like, well, if you're not attracted to someone, don't go on a date with them. You actually it's a hear bigger... that? You guys actually yeah. hear that? Yeah, yeah I, surprisingly. I, I don't hear it with people dating. I, I, I mean, most people, I think, intuitively know that because it's just a, a prominent part of the dating natural law. You, you want to be with someone especially guys with girls, but girls also with guys, that you're attracted to, it's a big head start. It's a much bigger issue, I think, for married people after they've been married for a while. Like, oh, is it fine that I'm not attracted to my spouse after 10 years? That's normal, right? You know, we, we became world-weary. Um, you know, we have to tend to the kids and all that, so neither of us exercise anymore. That's, that's normal, right? It's not it's not. It's, it's normal to have those temptations toward complacency, 
But in order, women out there, we said this in the last show, if your man is not actively seeking you and, and seeming attracted to you, and if you know in your heart of hearts that, you know, you've let yourself go a little bit, that's fine. It happens to the best of us. But you need to rebound, recover from that, because if the man's not complaining, something is, is awry. I don't mean complaining harshly or saying it rudely or, or whatever. I mean, if he's okay with it, there's probably a pornography addiction. It's part of nature that just as the man originally was attracted to you and sought you out, he needs to continue to be attracted to you in marriage and seek you out. I was going to do this point last, but it, it came up naturally now. Right, Chris? I mean, that, that you need to be seeking out your wife and attracted to her every day of your life. Or men who are very visually uh, stimulated, they need this. They need to be attracted to their wives. And if you fell off the bike, but also, right, get up and start in. Yeah. Your point about pornography, too, it, it's, it's incumbent upon the man, too, to stop the pornography addiction because it's going gonna, it's gonna to make it difficult for him also to feel attracted to his wife or the other, you know, he's just, he's just, it's just going to make it tough. So she can't keep, she can't keep up against, you know, she can't match up against all these women that he's looking at on the whatever screen, you know? So it's, it's, it's teamwork. Well, I think I, but I, I think, I think set realistic goals yet. Yeah, I don't, I don't know which, what the, what the quality of the women are. Right. I, I mean, I don't, I, it, none of us here look at pornography. So, but I know, I mean, it's not an unrealistic, the, the danger in saying that, see, I've, I've heard that uh, Catholic critique of pornography is a secondary or tertiary thing. And I, I get what people are saying, I get what you're saying, but I think it's actually kind of misleading. I, I mean, I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong. I, I think it's realistic to be thin. It's realistic to be thin at 40. It's realistic to be thin and 50. I, I don't, I don't actually, that's not actually the reason it's bad. It's bad because it's a mortal sin right. and you'll, you'll Let die me... and go to hell if you get in a car accident right sure. after looking at pornography. So I, yeah. I, right. I, I'm saying kind of the opposite. Women, women and men should make themselves look like, I guess, if to look like a porn star is a good thing, you know, without acting like a scumbag. I think they should try to make themselves look as good as they can. Sure, as good as they can. Um, I think, yeah, I think that's one of those critiques that's really metastasized into something that's now like a catch-all. Like, and you just hear kind of the bitter, frumpy women of the world saying, oh, I'm not going to be able to look like, like, like this porn starts an unrealistic standard but it's like well yeah but you have muffin top we're not talking about having you know heaving bosoms that are are, are obviously you actually said heaving bosoms <laughs> sure but i i was going on I'm to add kidding. the modifier no i know that's fair point fair play <laughs> um, to add the modifier like a obviously silicone based heaving bosom with a fake tan all the time with, you know, Mac makeup on and fully done up with your hair in an updo and wearing, like, heels around the house to vacuum on a Tuesday. You know, sure, that might be, um, you can't hold to those standards all the time or obviously with, like, the plastic surgery, nor, nor should you be indulging in the, these kind of trifling vanities. What we're saying is, but that doesn't mean you can't be thin and have an athletic build. You know, there's this false dichotomy between just being purely slovenly with like muffin top rolling over the the skinny like 
what are they, the yoga pants that all the apparently women at Walmart cram themselves into so you can see the cottage cheese butt when you're shopping and get unappetized. Um, there's there's a difference between... That's why I don't go to Walmart, by the way. Well, must be nice. Living I the like drink. my appetite, yeah. So there's a difference between being like, I'm going to totally let my physique go, and then being like, it's unrealistic to have like double sure. D chest with a fake tan all the time fake and tan. perfectly yeah. coarse hair. But and three percent th- body fat. That's not necessary. So I mean, that that's nice because it incorporates Chris's point. There's there's validity to it. It's like yes, not every day of the married vocation is going to be a lived out male fantasy, which is actually fine. I think Dave, you want to do a, a show on this coming up. I, I don't want male fantasies. <laughs> Well, you're talking about you know what's what's okay and what's not okay in in the bedroom. I, I feel like we're becoming the Catholic love doctors. I I want to get back to doing some some church, some some church church current events. But I, I guess this is part of the feminism book we're writing. But yeah, there's validity to what Chris is saying. You don't have to have three percent body fat and a fake tan and be ready in a superficial way to always uh, be the instantiation of a, a male fantasy. But it's good enough. Just that you take care of uh, uh, men and women, that you take care of your frame, it sends an important emotional point to your partner. Like, hey, I care about you. I- I'm trying to please you. That, I mean, this is, I think, a Hegelian point. I never thought I'd um, quote one, but I-, I saw this point on love. No, people don't read Hegel. It's-, it's bad, bad stuff. You desire the desire of the other, right? That's, w- that's what true love is, is you're, you're, it's-, it's at least a part of it. You're desiring the desire. And when someone keeps themselves in shape for you, um, not only is it very important to men with women, I, I can't speak exactly to how important it is for women with men because I'm not a woman, uh, but, y- you know, I mean, you desire the desire of the other in, in both cases, it shows this person is still trying. When we give people a total pass and say, oh, yeah, by the time you're 40 with a bunch of kids, you're both going to look like complete hell. I mean, that, that just that's not good. That's depressing. And that enables the the culture of staying single if you want to stay half dignified looking to be propagated and go forward. Well, it makes sense to... that that's the look in the in the culture of self-love and narcissism, right? Is that people would rather, they don't care about looking good for the other, they'd rather cram another cheeseburger down their gullet, right? Yeah, perfect. perfectly realistic to say, hey, don't be a glutton. You need daily, I mean, just for my mind to work, when I'm writing... I teach them every day. We do one of these shows half of the days now. Um, I need just going on the run, which is I'm not like a runner by nature, but going on a short half hour run or going and lifting weights for 45 minutes clears my mind. It clears the cobwebs out. So it's part of living a balanced, temperate life to, to stay fit anyway. It's just an important question because there's a balance. This is the main third point I wanted to, to close with tonight is the question of I, I was getting questions from a, a couple young women that are on 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 the hunt that are um, single. Some of them are patrons. Some of them aren't just getting DMs saying, well, so if all men and women are complementarily uh, attracted to each other, does this mean it doesn't that that um, personal compatibility doesn't matter at all? You know, I'm making fun of Myers Briggs personality compatibility tests. No, of course it matters some, right? When you're on the hunt and you're dating, let the Jane Austen rules rule, which is to say, yeah, court a bunch of people, court a bunch of people, and and go for the best. It gives you 
it's, it's like a, a starting, uh, a head start in a foot race, you know. But then the counterbalance is once you do pick someone in the married vocation and you've made a promise to God, this is your path to heaven is this person you pick, this woman for women, this man. So now you're with them. So and they now, become the best for you. They become, well, they, it's they, like the sorting hat theory in they, Harry Potter, right? So Harry Potter becomes well, me, a Gryffindor yeah. because he chooses, yeah. he doesn't want to be a Slytherin, even though the hat would put him there. And it's the same with your spouse. If you they can become the you best. grow That's, in love. Yeah, you grow yeah, in so love with your spouse. As and long you as you keep them. trying and you're not, um, you're not becoming complacent, right? There's this balance from in the dating paradigm. Yeah, go for the best one, right? Uh, uh, get the very best person. Yeah, it, it's not just any mate because now you're you're free. You have a choice, but except once once you're married and you've made this uh, promise, your horizons as the European scholars love this, this image, your horizons narrow. And all of a sudden you've picked this one person. And so you're, you're the confines are all about, okay, I can't just pick the best ice skater in the world anymore. You could have done that before you made a promise to God. Now this person, if you, if it's really important that they're an ice skater, you say, Hey, let's go ice skate or whatever. Or that's probably not really important to anyone saying that, that didn't already pick an ice skater. But what you can say is, okay, Look, it isn't important to me. It should be important to everyone, health and fitness. So now we're working within the confines of this person. Maybe they do have a, um, a, a slow metabolic system, so losing weight is extra hard for them. Fine. So you want them to be, at the very least, the expectations are a little bit more particularized to that Realistic. person's person. Realistic. So now you say, okay, we want the, this person to be the best version of themselves. So now you go from pick anyone in the world you owe no one anything until the day you're married. This even includes engagement in, I think, the Catholic book. Go ahead and be really picky. I wouldn't be super picky if you're meeting good people because the older you get, the harder it gets. But that's your choice when you're dating. But now the paradigm shifts once you're married. When you say, I do, that nanosecond, now it becomes 70s song, love the one you're with, right? Now the boomers can, now you got to work within the confines of that and it's your Dave's analogy or whatever. Does this make sense, Chris? Yeah. I think, yeah, the the, the tips for for dating into marriages, you have to do marriage as much like dating as is realistic. So you want to court your wife, you want your wife to be impressed by you. It's, It's not just the physical stuff. The physical stuff is a, a an instantiation of the emotional stuff. You just want to still be showing, hey, you're the only one for me. I think Dave said this last show. It's not realistic for a, a woman to um, say only have eyes for me if she's completely given up. Now, it's morally, it's still a moral demand that she technically has the right to make. Or a man, if he's 400 pounds, um, you could, I guess, delimit the other person and say, you know, Jesus our Lord says that if you look at someone of the opposite sex with lust in your heart, it's a mortal sin. So they shouldn't do it. But you can't really demand if you're 400 pounds, especially with no excuse for being 400 pounds, that the person's looking at you admiringly. That's the feminist myth. And that is what's so toxic for marriage. Most, I think a lot of young men out there that are married young men and are like, "Eh, I've only been married five years. My wife's already kind of letting herself go. I think we're doing a big service for all these people. We're not trying to be macho. This isn't the Catholic Andrew Dice Clay. I'm just saying, real marriage advice, I've been married almost 15 years. 
is to for both parties to be aware like hey if i let myself go i'm letting the other person down and if you have let yourself go get back on it just get get back on the sticks you know exercise even uh, cardiologists say you know five or six times a week for a half if hour if you sign up to support tim at $1,500 a month, he will write a workout program for you and he'll be your personal trainer and he'll check in and he'll also offer nutrition, nutrition advice. Right, Tim? Think, Wasn't that one I, of the tiers? I, I think Dave's doing something closer to that with his Patreon account, aren't you? Right? I'm not that. What are you doing, Dave? Yeah, the, thanks for the, for, I was going to take it there at the end. I, I do want to do, because I've gotten so many questions just being on, again, a campus at a Newmanless school, uh, as I've said in a couple of the previous episodes, where guys who are just fairly clueless about how to date right, you know, uh, are, are coming up with these cockamamie ideas, and I see it, and I'm, I'm having to counsel them. And kind of tell them, like, look, this is how you how you do these things. This is how you build attraction with a young lady. This is how you court a young lady. Um, so I was going to say, for uh, to offer my services, maybe to a certain level of my Patreons, or if somebody wanted to approach me or direct message me on Twitter, of how to do the dating game right as a Catholic by staying moral, staying chaste, but also how to build attraction with young ladies and how to bring back these classical modes of courting women that aren't corny. You know, a lot of guys are doing corny things. They'll go write a poem on the second date, and that scares a girl away, right? They call six times for when they're not getting a hold of their, of their love interest, and that scares a girl away, right? They'll send text messages or allow the girl to not pick up a call but then have an prolonged text message conversation with them to keep it at this arm's distance, um, you know, pushing the guy away type thing that's not classical, it's not polite, it's not um, cordial to men. They kind of let themselves be be led around instead of taking the reins and as the leader of a future possible marriage, they're not taking the reins as men, which is unattractive to women also. You know, they're letting, they're going on lunch dates to coffee as opposed to dinner dates to a restaurant. They're, right, dinner dates, no, to like, I'm thinking of like a classical Italian restaurant setting with like one candle where you're like slurping one noodle of spaghetti and ending in a kiss or whatever. Are we, they, are we dogs in this situation? Yes, Lady in the Tramp. Are we writing um, Disney movies? Yes. No, no, so, and also, also, well, yeah, go on. Uh, also, just, he has to be a stray. You have to be a stray. A stray. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay, so I, the I, there's this it. niche the out there. We, we want to... Uh, I want to help young Catholic men find their vocation and do it right. And a lot of times, you can't just chalk it up to... It's what we've been... It's another theme that we've been harping on, right? You can't just say, I'm going to pray and everything will be okay. You have to do your part. And you to your find part. your spouse, you have to hit the weights to make yourself attractive. You have to learn how to shave. You have to learn how to like wash your face and have good hygiene. You know, you I have go a to shaving cut there, Dave. I think I see a shaving cut. That, Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> you need so to know. Sometimes I go and I see the faithful, and it's like there's dandruff flakes on on your shirt. It's like you need to learn hygiene. You need to learn how to groom. You need to learn how to lift weights. You need to learn all the man skills. You need to learn how to fight. You need to learn how to shoot a gun. You need to learn how to talk to a woman, how to be 
a polite gentleman, how to open a door, how to pull out a seat, how to dress for a date. These are all things that young men have let go by the wayside in the faithful camp, right? And, and we need to bring them back, and there's a real need there. So, like, yeah. was, I'm going to offer my services to, you know, my higher-level Patreons, and, you Be know... careful with how you say that, by the way. <laughs> You're going to offer your advice. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm not, like, what is it? Uh, I'm, not like, a gigolo. Not a gigolo. You're, you're a happily married gigolo, man. I, I have no idea. It seems like it would be a hard G. But anyway, that, if you are interested, hit me up by direct message on Twitter, and maybe we could work something out. It's just a thought. In advice. Yeah. 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 Advice. Yeah, I think the, the secular, the Protestant Enlightenment dating culture hit uh, religious people and uh, anti-religious people in different ways. The anti-religious people, just like Chris was saying last show, just got off board at the, just lift weights nonstop. They get obsessed with their, how many ounces of chicken to have with dinner. And it's just all about sex. It's just all about, they're like cats and dogs. They're vile and disgusting, right? It's, it's like animals. But then it, the way that the Protestant enlightenment uh, misunderstanding of vocation, the married vocation, and how to prepare for it, courtship, hit the religious people, went off the other way. It's just, oh, say a prayer, say, say, and, and you're going to, I mean, I'm not saying don't say a prayer to uh, a novena to St. Joseph. I'm finishing up one now for another reason. It's a, he's the great patron saint of wanting to find your chaste spouse. But, but you got to do, that's the easy part, honestly. I mean, honestly, that's the easy part. I know you guys out there are not used to hearing people talk like that, but praying is the easy part, right? You just, you say a prayer and it's done. It's a, it's a holy wish. It's a, it's a christened wish. The hard part is you actually have to do, you got to put in the work. Dave listed a bunch of don'ts. I thought of one do. Here's something that actually works for young men. This is a hot tip. Okay. When you are, when you're dating a girl or when you are maybe in a college setting, in a study group in class, the way a lot of people are meeting someone. Be handsome. If you are not, be as handsome as you can. No, if you are not if you're not, um, if you're talking to a girl and you're not getting a bunch of, from her end, in, what, what girls call inside jokes, then there's probably no interest. This is with 99% of girls in inchoate relationships, even friendships that might turn into a romantic relationship. Very common um, phenomenology of the relationship in college. 99% of girls express inchoate intimacy through something they call an inside joke, right? And usually inside jokes aren't funny at all. Usually an inside joke is like, remember how that one lamp was stained? And then they'll just, if the girl likes you, she'll send you, you know, a bunch of emails about a stained lamp. And you're like, this isn't really funny at all. But I'm very happy because this is a very healthy way of a technically platonic girl of showing her readiness or availability to go to take it to the next level take stained lamps so that's one that's one that's very common if you're not getting this see guys have to understand how to read signs if you're not getting that then there's probably no interest because it's the easiest way of expressing inquit intimacy these are chris i'm wondering what's up chris yeah no just the the stained laugh or the stained or whatever something completely arbitrary stained lamp stained you were you have a orange stained laugh. <laughs> is that how you made it happen? By the way, Dave, first? I like that you're uh, you're supporting. Is that Trent Horn's book behind you? Why we're Catholic? Oh, is it? I don't know. 
Yeah, that is. Trent gave me that book. Trent gave me that book when we debate. All right, here's one. Here's a little bit of support for Trent Warren. I'm going to address it now rather than letting it go to the comments. So one thing um, I think Trent Horn was definitely right on, again, retrograde way. Uh, We we have, I know Dave and I have at least researched this. Trent did a great job researching the following uh, topic. And I think he went against, uh, was it Father Chad Ripperger? On the issue of, Dave brought it up as an analogy once here, Harry Potter. I know, I know people are expecting, because they associate me with traditionalism, hearing me condemn this. People, if you go listen to Trent's podcast on Harry Potter, where he says, look, I'm going to research this. He did a ton of research, and there is simply little or, or closer to no evidence for the claim that Harry Potter is really, I think we really, should have really Trent evil. on. I think we should have Trent Horn on just on the Harry Potter thing. Yeah, maybe we should. I, I, you know what? I think that would be cool. And we'll make a did, deal. Don't talk about did. anything. Let's just talk about Harry Potter. No doctrine. No, no changing. Doctrine. No, I mean, Chris, what's hey, your take on Harry Potter? I've never heard Chris's take I, on. Well, we don't. I, we can do it with Trent Horn. What, yeah, we'll what's do it up? with Trent Horn. We'll do it. What's up? Yeah, because if you haven't looked into yeah, it, I mean, Dave out. and I've Dave and I have looked into it, and Dave made the analogy. I, you know, it's funny. Uh, what's up, uh, Jesse and Terry? You guys are, are good fellow Californian homies. I love you guys. One time I, I was being interviewed on their show. They do like a three-hour show, um, Virgin Most Powerful. And uh, they'd done like the first hour on how Harry Potter's evil. And this is, this is a, it's a prudential issue, guys. So there's no doctrine on this. We can disagree. That's, I guess, probably the most important thing to say. They'd done an hour on how it's evil. I went on and I was on, I think I was on Catholic Republic that I was interviewing. I happened to, in the middle of it, make a fat 30-second Harry Potter analogy just like Dave did. And I, I, don't even, I don't even think it's good literature or whatever. I'm just not against the books and movies. Um, I don't think it's evil. So I made one because some, let's pretend it was Dave's sorting hat analogy. And they got quiet. And then uh, they told me after we got off, like, we'd just done an hour on how that's evil. And we're bringing you on. As a... The point is, it's a prudential issue. Not perfectly clear. But the church does not teach the way trads are now kind of talking like, so oh, what's that's, the prob- that's what's the problem it's not on the Harry index. Potter? What's the problem they with s- Harry Potter? They say it's demonic. We should really bring Trent on. I think that's we a good idea. We have derailed. Well, you made the analogy. I'm just kidding. Let I'm me just save anal- people. So we, you made the analogy to the sorting hat. People right. are going to be barking. I mean, they are, because when this is premiering, you said it about 25 minutes ago. I timestamped it. Yeah, and so people were probably barking about 25 minutes ago. People, it's a it's a prudential call. It, this is not the coded in the codex or the index, uh, the dreaded Roman index. It's not on there, and um, you know, so it's and it's also not tremendously important. But I, Trent Horn's podcast on it was very informative. Normally, I would tend to agree with. Uh, I think it was Father Chad Ripperger. I think more often than not than with Trent Horn. I think that's safe to say. But I think Trent did a really good research job, and. I called it out. It's something we don't all have to agree on that issue anyway. But uh, yeah, so that, that's that's our that's one tidbit of dating advice that's an affirmative. You hear a lot of negatives. The negatives are important because cautionary examples are do not do's that are sure ways to to flub up your date right at the beginning. We've got one, and more more important, the Jane Austen rules. Once you get that girl, once you win that girl, and you're dating, if you think you're good for each other, you ought to be looking at four to ten months, right, before you get into a short engagement, 
right? Or uh, whatever works for you. We are talking a matter of months, not years. Da that right, is the Sam, only Catholic how, way. How long were you and Steph dating before you proposed? Steph and I were dating for because we were friends first. Oh, uh, it was uh, yeah. We we have we have an interesting story. We were friends first, and we're, we're um, you know Steph actually dated a, a friend of mine um, for a long time. I was dating lots of girls in college, and it, it, a basic basically the way that I'm talking about here, more or less. Um, just trying on a lot of different personalities. And so we ended up, it was very, very, um, very wedding singer. If you've seen that Adam Sandler movie, um, kind of, kind of thing, except they were, they were never, they were never engaged or that serious. Uh, so we began dating in, it was about a year before we got engaged. It was about one year. Um, depending on when you count the beginning of our relationship. But did, did you know, as soon as you guys started dating that you wanted to marry her? Well, yeah, by the time I told Steph that I even had feelings for her, I told her and her ex-boyfriend at the time, who they were kind of, they, they were, we were all friends. It was my friend. So I told them at the same time so there'd be no funny business, no subterfuge, nothing underhanded. I said, hey, um, you guys are, keep breaking up and getting back together. We're all in the same friend group. Um, so I, I told them at the same time, I said, hey, just, I'm just putting this out there. You know, I'm about to graduate college. Um, but I'm in love with Steph, and boom, I like walked out the door, and I just dropped that out there, and then that that helped them to quit breaking up and getting back together because we she was in love with me as well. But it was a tumultuous time in a different way that we were dating because all of our friend group kind of responded to this, and people it was, it was a very romantic thing. But at the same time, it was a tumultuous time. We didn't start dating right away. That was in like April. We didn't really start dating until that summer that we were. We were best friends already, so it was. Hey, uh, by the way, you guys, you guys had you and Dave had a radio show, didn't you, in Bakersfield together? No, uh, Dave, Dave would Dave would come on sometimes with uh, with uh, our older brother. Oh, okay. Yeah. It was you and the other brother. Okay. I yeah. was talking to someone about it who's going to interview you in a week or so, and I was like, I yeah. think you had a radio show. Okay, so cool. So it was about a year, yeah. and then you guys got yes, it was about a year. Yeah, and then we got engaged, and you don't need a long engagement. I wish we hadn't even done a, a six or eight month engagement. I wish we'd done shorter, but because you don't, you don't need that. And especially people are the best place to meet someone is in college. People, last thought out there: if you meet someone in college, be prepared to get married in college, or or, or don't date. But you don't want to not date because if you're pretty sure, if you've discerned, I don't think the cloth is for me as a young man or a young woman going to be a religious woman or not. You know. And get you want to get priests started on their vocation as early as possible and nuns, and you want to get young single people on their vocation as early as possible because, like Dave said, grace is cumulative supernaturally. Situation A, you wait, and let's say you're not even fornicating for throughout all four years of undergrad. You meet an orientation freshman year. Situation A, you wait to satisfy all the boomers out there. Well, you're not getting all those graces, so that means you're going to be having fights you wouldn't have otherwise had. If you get married a year in, you know, then that means that for a sophomore, junior, senior year of college, you're becoming more personally holy, because it's one of the sacraments doing that, and your relationship is becoming sanctified. It means less fights. That's the reality of the sacraments, right? So it's, it's better even if with the 3% of the population that dates someone four or five years without fornicating, which almost never happens. Um, plus it, you, you cultivate all these habits together, better habits, young men, 
who get married young never get the lecherous habits. Old, young women who get married young never cultivate the lecherous habits. That's true. That's and you point. grow up together. There's beauty in growing up together from teens to, to adults. I was reading uh, Thomas A. Kempis this morning from my spiritual reading, and he said that a long life, it, he's like, a long life can be good, but it's also bad because you build up more and more guilt towards the end of your life, so you have a longer lifespan to be, be judged on the last day which is dangerous sure. but um but to that to your point it's it's also true too that if you if if you're single and you're living a bachelor life especially an unholy life you form a lot of bad habits so by the time you've been single you've been living on your own for 15 years and then you get married and you're like I have to share my life now with somebody right. and I've got all these bad habits um and, and my things you have to share your things men get so grabby and that's mine don't come That's one of the good things about a, ba a big family, too. You gotta, you yes. just gotta learn to work with multiple personalities, share things. Same thing with marriage. So. Amen, amen. All right, well, well, that's that's good. Let's let's call that a wrap. And uh, everybody out there, if you're married, love the one you're with, right? Make it work, and you do this largely with superficial things. Uh, uh, you've got, like, you got to hit the weights, got to do little thoughtful things for each other. You got to stick with them. You love the one you're with. If you're not married, make yourself a really, really eligible bachelor or bachelorette and go find someone holy and marry them shortly thereafter and have lots of kids. Okay. Right. And, and follow us on uh, Patreon. Dave, Dave's making this offer. Chris, Chris, um, Chris, follow Chris on Patreon. Follow me. Oh, we got some new music. So check out our Patreon page right now uh you guys have a good day god bless cool Rules for retrogrades oh, i want to kick a shout out again to carryyourcrosslifestyle.com these are good people with good shirts good uh stickers and and uh paraphernalia it's it's cool stuff so so any, go there check them out any uh patreons you want to shout out to yeah, i did it last time and i i don't okay. know i don't know if people want their names or not if, yeah. if patrons want here's me to your name names, to ten thousand people Right. And yeah. here's your number, too, and address. We'll, we'll dox you if you become a patron. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, how, how does that sound? No, and also, uh, everyone, also, you can follow 30 extra minutes a week times two. Two episodes by Mike Church's paywall. Go to Crusade Radio Network. We do two special content premiere only there shows that we don't air anywhere else. That last on one Mike was Church. really good. People should hear that. that last I'm about one. to do another one right now. Yeah. Uh, after, yeah. I, after I hit. Yeah. Okay. Peace, people. Rules for right. Out. out. Mamba out. It's Kobe Mamba Bryant. Out.